Now that your partner has a stretch of sobriety. health and sobriety and is showing yeah. up and is doing the things, just like we have encouraged the person who has been dependent or has been an addict to replace, remember the Indiana Jones, you have to replace the statue of gold with the bag of sand. I now, as the person who was controlling, have to come up with something to replace my control as the thing that managed my anxiety or my concern. I'm Angela. And I'm Chad. And we discuss issues that couples face in everyday life. Then we set you up to have a conversation with your partner that's designed to bring you closer together. This is the Connecting Couples Podcast with the real Emhoffs. Real conversations for a real connection. Welcome to our 11th episode in our series on addiction. We just came out of the addicted partner's perspective, and we're really going to start to take a look at the partner of someone who has been addicted or struggled with dependence on a chemical or behavior, whatever the thing might be. So as I start to think about what it's like to be the partner of someone who struggles with addiction, the first thing that comes to mind is how hard I I notice people work just to maintain some sense of normalcy. If I have been the partner of someone who uses drugs, a lot of times I have picked up the slack. I have sacrificed time and energy and life and maybe work two jobs at times and pick the kids up and make sure people have food. And I'm doing all this work to make sure that not only the family, the life, the relationship runs, but that somehow we take care of and keep the train rolling. Yeah. We're not just out there taking the time off or whatever the thing. And I didn't give up on the relationship. Yeah. It's crazy for someone who struggles with a partner who is addicted to things. And that struggle can't help but cause internal pain. And then that pain starts to solidify ways of behaving and ways of coping that a lot of times, even if somebody stops using a drug or chemical or behavior, even if those things stop, the way that we learn to cope, the way that we learn to stay alive, it still functions in our body. I want to take a moment just to kind of honor how hard that person is working. I think about several examples I have of couples that we were working with where one partner was getting sober and the other partner, I mean out of respect and love for the relationship starts to do a thing where they're protecting the kids from what's really going on, going out of their way to have fun events, make sure all the bank accounts still have, make sure the person is in good health, even in the midst of their design. Like there are just so many layers that the person feels alone in that when we have a stretch of sobriety, like we talked about in the last episode, and things are going good, at some point we ask that person who was addicted to come back and say, hey, when I was making bad choices, I'm starting to understand all the stuff that you did for our family and and really acknowledge the efforts that they made and yet also the impact that the addiction had on them so that their body can start to to kind of let down some of that mistrust so we have already asked the addict to i want to say it like this own some of the damage done yeah that's why this particular episode is going to be really really hard for us to land because just like we don't want to shame the addict for the choices they made we don't want to shame the partner for some of the things that were done 
out of survival. And I want to speak from my own experience. In my first marriage, I had a husband that was making really bad choices, and I did everything I could to try to maintain the appearance of health, try to not set off the behaviors. I mean, I was working overtime and exhausting myself and found myself after my divorce, landed in Celebrate Recovery and started learning about words like enabling. I had no idea what that word was, Mm. but I recognized that I actually was doing it because I wasn't holding my partner responsible for some of the things that they were doing in the relationship. Codependency. I felt like it was somehow my responsibility to help my partner manage his dysfunction and choices. And therefore I became super controlling would often use shame as a motivator to try to get him to see, don't you know what this is doing to me and to us? And aren't I good enough? Aren't I all of these things that also cause damage in the relationship? This is, it's crazy Megan, because to maintain the household, to maintain all that's going on, I have to figure out ways to juggle and balance and 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 kind of stay on this tight wire and yeah. like with somebody who's completely erratic. I want to say like by a, the way, you were a cruise ship director yeah, well, and you were managing all the pieces. And, and none of the, and, and one of the major pieces doesn't It's not helping you. It's not reliable. <laughs> it's working against you. Addicts are not reliable most of the time when yeah. they're in their addiction. I'm not this is nothing against anybody. Yeah. But I'm like when and so then now I I can imagine trying to hold both sides of yeah. this. Make sure you're juggling the kids, juggling the house, juggling, and you have to be able to control. Yeah, you have to be able to schedule and plan and 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 make sure that everything is going as intended. But the problem is, a lot of times that turns into now I'm going to try to make sure I can do that for my partner. Yeah, which. I mean, honestly, addiction is such a funny thing and even a funny word to define. But it's like, if you're trying to do that for your partner, they're going to feel like controlled and managed and and structured and it doesn't work. And here's the thing that we have to consider. Now that your partner has a stretch of health and sobriety and is showing up and is doing the things, just like we have encouraged the person who has been dependent or has been an addict to replace, remember the Indiana Jones, you have to replace the statue of gold with a bag of sand. I now, as the person who was controlling, have to come up with something to replace my control as the thing that manage my anxiety or my concern. Because my first tendency when things aren't gonna go well is gonna go back to control, which is gonna be my side of that addictive cycle. If I start over managing, it yeah. is a trigger yeah. in our relationship. So this is now asking the partner of to do something ludicrous, to do something unimaginable, which is to take ownership of somehow that in my most survival mode when I was holding the family and marriage together by a thread that I did some sort of damage that I now have to pay attention to? No, I cannot. (laughs) And yet, in my recovery process, I had to recognize what I was in this cyclical relationship, what I was contributing. Was I a safe partner? Was I giving my partner the opportunity to take responsibility or even to fail and find acceptance in that failure? Or was I terrified of that? We talked a little bit in the uh, episode about telling your story. 
about the concept of how I view myself. And this is really what we want to kind of bring up in this process because there are some deep-rooted questions that are worth considering when it comes to being the person on the flip side of a relationship where there are some addictive behaviors. One of them that I found myself in, in a marriage where I was married to somebody who had an addiction was, how in the world did I pick this? How did I find myself in this relationship? What about me didn't recognize some of these patterns? And by the way, there were some obvious things. The avoidant pattern in my family of origin where we just outperform our stuff and we were performers. So I didn't even acknowledge some of the behaviors that when I go back and look, I could have recognized were present. I work all the time with people who go, my father was an alcoholic and I married an alcoholic. My you know, family of origin had this issue. And now here it is again when I swore I wouldn't. And that is something that's often has to be considered when we're talking about the system around addictive behaviors. It would be easier, just like in the pursue withdrawal cycle we've joked before, that the withdrawer thinks the withdrawer is the problem and the pursuer thinks the withdrawer is the problem we double down on the withdrawer when we have learned through connecting couples through emotionally focused therapy through cycles studying couples that actually both sides play a part in the cycle same thing in this process it would be easy to say the addict is the problem the addict believes the addict is a problem the partner believes the addict is a problem and what we have to do is go what as the partner of this addict am i doing to, I've joked, we've used this time, we've used this phrase several times already, to aid and abet the problem. Yeah, yeah. Because I now have choices that are impacting how this plays out, and I have to be able to acknowledge those so that I can be a healthy support for the new way. And if I'm still stuck in the old way, that's not going to help my partner sustain health and balance, nor is it going to help our relationship move into a place where those negative behaviors are gone. Yeah. And I'm like, I still, I, I feel like I'm the one who always like goes, man, but it's, it's just so hard. Both sides are so hard. And, and so owning that piece is, it is, it's kind of maddening. Cause if you hadn't as, as the, as the partner of the, if, if I, if I hadn't behaved that way, we wouldn't have made it. Yeah. And maybe I saved my partner's life at times by overmanaging. And Absolutely. when I say overmanaging, that that management might have been exactly what was required in the, the moment when Absolutely. you did it. And so I don't I don't want to shame any of it necessarily at, or at all. I want to say man, it's about looking at like again, 3 years removed, does this behavior that I'm still exhibiting, does the way that I handle my relationship and the family and my partner, does it work? Or is it causing damage? Is it continuing to kind of perpetuate or lead us down a path that maybe would cause somebody to eject? Let's give some real practical action steps that the partner of can start to consider. There's two things that we want to bring up. One is awareness. Again, just like we had that scaffolding for the person who was addicted, the partner needs to also have some of those things in place as well. Self-awareness, self-care, those are huge for me to maintain safety in my identity and who I am 
even if my partner is not making healthy choices. And so a shift now, if we go back to that narrative, we're three years out, my partner has some sobriety, yet I still have some mistrust and doubt because there's been pain in my past. My awareness of myself helps me communicate to my partner so that my pain gets responded to. Several series ago, when we did the anatomy of a repair, we talked about how the wounded person needs to be able to distill down to identify what their pain is. So let's play out the scenario where Chad doesn't answer his phone or I can't get a hold of him. My body freaks out and I start to panic. Uh Uh-oh, this is the beginning of the end. He's going to relapse. And here we go again. For me to have a self-awareness, it shifts how I interact when he shows back up. Hmm. I can say, hey, I got to let you know that I'm freaking out because I couldn't get a hold of you. And everything in my body says that I'm afraid you're using again. And that makes me want to go back to controlling you, over managing you, checking the bank account, calling your friends, tracking where you are. And I don't want to do that because I'm trying to get healthy on my, you know, some of my crazy making behaviors too. But there is just something my body is holding on to and I need to let you know. Now, how much easier is it to respond to that than just the attack? I mean, a ton. And I want to say this is all on a continuum, too. So, you know, if we're using that same scenario, it's like if if you can give me what's going on for you and and start to see me as a resource versus a liability, especially where I was in addiction. Yeah. Right. If you can start to resource me, which wasn't an option in the past. So I'm going to be fair there. But if you can start to resource your partner, all of a sudden we we get to have like a adult relationship. It's not a interaction where one side has to manage everything and kind of care for the the other side, which is kind of all over the place, right? And so I'm like, you're really saying it well, Angela, that this is, you know, clarifying and distilling the process inside of us. This is true for every series, by the way. Yeah. The more we clarify and understand ourselves and are able to send a clear message over, the more likely that message is to be responded to. Now, addiction's a funny one because if somebody's going outside the relationship to get their needs met, that they're, they're not going to respond to you. So yeah. th- again, this wasn't an option, but after we've got some sobriety, we've got some level of like consistency and normalcy in life, we really want to start to work on how do I step out of the behaviors that were needed at one time and into healthier behaviors such as Angela's talking about, diving into my own pain, my own struggle, my own fears, and letting somebody naturally nurture me, where I feel like the partner of people who've been addicted has had to nurture for so long that sometimes receiving it is, and even talking about it, it can feel foreign. A different level of secure attachment and connection when we're working with couples where there has been an, an addiction present, an attachment injury style addiction. Yeah. So the ones we've mentioned where there's affairs, abuse, alcohol, gambling, pornography, these ones that really do lasting damage. We find that when they have been in the height of the dependency or the abuse of the substance or the behavior. And there's a lot of damage being done, obviously. I, the partner of, am just surviving. I have no wherewithal that you are going to be capable of responding to my needs. Not only am I trying to manage your needs and the needs of my family, I have learned I've got to manage my own needs. I've got to figure out where to get my own comfort. And a lot of times that comfort is from trying to manage all the details so that I'm not freaked out and anxious. And so when this new phase comes, the the 
unhealthy behavior has subsided. And now we are talking about what we led this series with, which is what do you go to for comfort? And we're encouraging building lasting relationships where you can turn to your partner. Now what we're trying to say to that partner who was the partner of the addicted person Mm -hmm. is this partner that has never been able to comfort you in your distress because you have been distressed because of their behavior is now the partner we need you to turn to in your distress and invite them in so that they can possibly try to comfort you in that space. What? I, I think a lot. No of, way. Cognitively, I think everybody <laughs> would say, yeah, "Yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want." But I'm yeah. like, when you start to really understand how distressing it is on both sides, yeah. But but for the person who's been managing everything, it it really it really is hard to put down what has saved you. It's really hard to let go of. Whatever that thing is, and we're t- calling it control or rigidity, or rigidity. Yeah, sure. having the systems in place because because your partner, sad to say it like this, but because your partner has failed yeah. you, you have built systems that have not failed you. And but so, now the yeah. partner wants to show up and wants to build a secure connection. And there's so much rigid systems around my heart and around my soul that it's hard for me to let you in. Yeah. And that can be just really a challenge for a couple or a family to go through this. And what we're the Connecting Couples podcast trying to do, connect people where they have had disconnection, yeah. bring secure attachment where there has been insecurity. And there is nothing that builds more insecurity than some of these really wretched behaviors that hurt and offend the other partner. Yeah. And I, that's on both sides, yeah. I mean, just to be clear. So we're not we're not trying to say, just stop it yeah. or something. In fact, we're letting you know it makes sense in relationship might not have happened or continued to thrive if you hadn't done all the work you've done as the partner of at the same time. If we continue to behave as though and and react to things the way that we always have, then we'll probably end up stuck back in some places that aren't so healthy. Yeah. And so that's what we're trying to do is say, is there a piece that as the partner of someone who struggles with an addiction, is there a piece that I am playing or that I haven't let go of that I've turned to for comfort or safety or, or even just a sense of control in my own life? I want to bring up a specific content topic because we said in a previous episode that we would and it lands in this particular episode. And there are specific outliers in each addiction of choice that leave lasting damage in different kind of capacities. But for this specific one, we want to talk about pornography because oftentimes when we're talking about the behavior that is being done... A a lot of times we can say that is doing damage to them. There's a a byproduct of damage to the partner or to the family. You know, there's like a ripple effect. Spent money on drugs or something like that. Yeah. Or wasn't present, whatever. But a lot of times the story that I will tell myself if I'm the partner of somebody going to specifically pornography or an affair is that it flips. There actually must be something wrong with me that I'm not enough or that I'm not giving enough or that I'm not some of those messages that I tell myself. And so the impact then isn't only you're making a bad choice that's hurting you, 
but you're making a bad choice because there's something wrong with me. There's a, there's a slightly different yeah. impact. And actually that same impact can be in some of the other addictive behaviors as well. But we go back to that concept of awareness and getting the wound that is in my heart when my husband or my partner has found some sobriety or gotten some health in this unhealthy behavior. Now what is my part to ask for my partner to respond to my wound without shaming him for what he's done in the past. And this is so tricky, which is why we always encourage you to get a therapist, get a safe, significant community group or celebrate recovery group where this kind of conversation is had on a regular basis, where there's clear uh, markers for how to make amends and how to say, hey, this is the damage that was done. And this is what I need you to respond to. When you do this behavior, I feel, this is about me, unlovable, that I'm not good enough, that there's something wrong with me. And it really is hard for me to even feel like you want me. And therefore, that particular thing is really damaging. And for me to be able to bring that pain forward is not my focus on what he's doing, but again, self-awareness and my focus on my story and what I'm bringing to him. And that I think is the hardest thing for Chad and I to try to land in this particular episode is you're the partner of somebody who has been making really hard choices, but you have a story too. And how do we get you to walk into your story and embrace your story and share your story that also doesn't completely do damage to the relationship that you're in? Oh my gosh, Angela, this is such a heavy topic. And this really isn't at this point about the behavior of the partner who is using or looking at pornography or whatever the thing is. We're trying to get really clear on the pain that the partner experienced when the other person did the thing, the addictive behavior. So trying to get into what is the pain that I went through, my experience, not, hey, you looked at porn and that's bad, right? But it's more like, this is how it impacted my identity. This is how it impacted my heart and what I'm going through as a result of that. And so... That really is the question. Like, what what is going on inside me? I have lots of behaviors that we could talk about. We're not pointing to pursuers or, or partners of people who have been addicted and saying, oh, your behavior caused it. That's not what we're saying at all. We're really just trying to get to the root of your pain and get it expressed. In the last episode, we kind of were talking to the, the partner who's addicted and saying, hey, we've got to find a way to talk about the impact you had on your partner. And now we're saying to the partner who was impacted, impacted, (laughs) we want to get a clear message together so that we can hand that to them, hand our pain over and get it responded to. We have lots of ways that we each did this when we were in unhealth, whether you're impacted or impacting partner. But at this point, we're trying to dig into how do we get some sense of stability three years after we've been sober and get each other at a deeper level and a safe place so that we can have the depth of relationship that really we were designed to have. What we're trying to do in the connecting couples themes is build security where there is possibly still insecurity. And so when we're talking about a couple who has been through some of these really heavy hitting things, 
we have, by the way, seen couples overcome all of these addictive behaviors that we have seen. Incredible capacity for humans to forgive, to make amends, to repair, to continue to love, to champion for the partner that was making, you know, not the best choices for themselves. And so we want to say, hey, now that you have some health and sobriety, again, in those first couple of stages where we're just safeguarding and, and having awareness and self-care, we're not, you know, doing maintenance yet. But now in this particular episode, we're talking about now we're doing maintenance and we're saying, are there still parts of your relationship where your body is holding mistrust and residue? And before you just kind of throw that mistrust and residue out, can you really articulate what is the pain? What is my body trying to tell me when I don't get a hold of Chad or when something happens in our bank account or if there is a, a situation that throws a threat message to me, a trigger that says, uh-oh, what is happening in my body and can I identify it and then articulate it to my partner who is my companion and my person that I want to go to so that we can build security. That's what we're trying to get the partner of to be able to do is start relying on somebody who has not been reliable and rebuild trust on both sides. So I think that takes us to our connect point. The Connect Point is designed to help you have a different conversation about how you experience your relationship. Small adjustments lead to big change over time. Take some time to practice with us now. In this Connect Point, we want you to take a few minutes and try to distill and think about that time when you and your partner were struggling this battle against addiction. Get a little bit clearer around what impacted you. If you're the partner of the person who was addicted, what did that do to you? What did you say about yourself? What are the messages that kind of resounded inside you? And then if you're the partner who was the addict, I would love for you to take a few minutes and ask the same questions. What was I believing about myself in that place? And I would love for you guys to sit down and share those messages with each other. We always want to encourage that if this is too hard of a conversation to have between you, Get some help, get into therapy, get someone who can help you process these conversations so that you can have a more connected relationship. Thanks so much for listening to us. If you've enjoyed this podcast, one of the best things you can do for us is to share it with another couple that you think could benefit from it. You can rate us and give us a review on your listening platform, and you can follow us on our Facebook page, The Real Emhoffs. If you want to support our nonprofit that makes resources available for couples, you can check out the Ways to Give tab on our website, therealemhoffs.com. We love to hear from our listeners, so feel free to message or email us with ideas you might like us to talk about or the ways that our ConnectPoint conversations are impacting your relationship. Thanks, Thanks again. again.